Today's episode of Sliced is brought to you by Startup Networks. Are you tired of filling out contact forms just to get ghosted by investors? Well, Startup Networks is a platform for you. Networks is an all-in-one platform devoted to helping you get funding. With the network's innovative AI technology, founders are matched with interested investors, and investors are matched with interesting founders, all from the comfort of one easy-to-use platform. Try Networks today for free at StartupNetworks.com. That's S-T-A-R-T-U-P-N-E-T-W-O-R-X.com. I think a mistake I made was hesitancy and moving too slow. So you get, you do get told logically, you know, MVP, be lean, deploy as fast as you can, like try and have fast feedback loops, but you don't truly know what that feels like until you actually face the fear and just go for it. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Cheyenne Wright, CEO and co-founder of Office Otter. Office Otter helps busy people turn their Slack, email, or text inboxes into tasks with one click. Hi, Cheyenne. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about you and Office Otter, which is such a cute name, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we get a (laughs) lot of users that love the Otter. It's really cute. Do you know the app... Otter, it's like the you can record a transcript. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They do auditory conversion and we do yeah. written conversion. Did not really? know about their company when we picked when you our got name. started. That's yeah, funny. no. I wanted more of the double O actually is what I was going for. Yeah, that's really cute. Well, I wanna learn how you ended up here and how Office Otter came to be, but before we do that, kind of let's start a little bit back in the beginning. Where did you go to school and, and what did you go to school for? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I um, studied international business, actually. So I think I've always had more of a entrepreneurial side and the learning how to build digital products came second when I was mm-hmm. starting my first company. Um, I am actually a college dropout. So great. the Daughter <laughs> is my second company. My first company was in the travel hospitality space Mm pre-COVID. And I actually started, that company was called Left through what I think was one of the best experiences I did glean from higher education, which was a pitch competition. So the pitch competition was paired with kind of your typical uh, business plan curriculum and a lot of mentors. It's actually through that program is also how I met my co-founder. So second best thing I gleaned from my university experience. And the that company kind of just took off. And so I had to make a choice, you know, stick it out for another semester, see where the startup goes. And then it really ended up hitting all the milestones 
and goals I had set to determine whether I should stay dropped out yeah. or not. So kind of yeah. made the decision for you, I guess. It did. Yeah. And at first it was a little difficult once my friends were still in college, but then once they all moved on and graduated, I felt even more confident in my decision. Yeah. So I actually have um, an investor, they're called the 1517 Fund, and their entire thesis is backing dropout founders. And cool. they were a part of founding the Peter Thiel Fellowship, which is a $100,000 grant for uh, backing dropouts or even you know high schoolers that don't go to college. Uh, so they were a huge... Uh, boost of confidence for me as well in that decision. Yeah. And so what exactly was left? You said it, it involved travel. Yeah, it was a B2B enterprise software for travel management. So think like a trip actions or a concur competitor, but we went more for the small to medium sized enterprises. So we were more affordable, a little more lightweight, a little more like UX flexibility. Um, and we allowed, I actually started with study abroad departments. So we allowed study abroad departments, corporate travel, um, travel agencies to just book and manage travel for other entities like groups mm -hmm. to basically facilitate the entire travel management process in one place. That's so neat. It sounds like, do you like to travel yourself? Yes, I obviously got into travel because I loved traveling personally. And I had a, a few study abroad experiences where they were literally handing us like paper packets. Because mm -hmm. this was a while ago, right? This was like five, six years ago. Um, and I was kind of like, why don't they have an offline mode app? Like this is kind of dangerous for students, especially when I was doing lower education. Um but ironically, I did not travel very much through that company. <laughs> yeah. I ended up doing a lot of heads down work. And I think I travel now more for Office Otter post-COVID than I did for Left. Um, so it's funny how that works out. <laughs> kind of ironic, I guess. Yeah, but I got to see a lot of cool, unique trips that were you know, thousands of dollars, all inclusive, or oh, educational yeah. trips, research, um, like R&D trips. So got to see a lot of cool itineraries. <laughs> well, it gives you a lot of good ideas now, you know? Yeah. And honestly, I don't really miss. And if anyone is listening, and they've built in the travel or hospitality industry, it's pretty monopolistic. So mm -hmm. there are a lot of player larger players that have created barriers to entry and having access to things like flight and hotel data and so I do think it's a even post-COVID it's a difficult industry to innovate in because of those factors also the margins are really difficult so mm -hmm. I think it was kind of our silver lining of 2020 was being able to pivot mm -hmm. through COVID um, and really have that opportunity to explore something new because I loved that it was my first company. I learned so much, but at the same time, I do like Office Otter and the user <laughs> demographic that we focus on a lot more. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll always look fondly on that first company. And it was quite successful, to be honest. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, that's great. So it seems like Office Otter came about just based on what you just said. 2020, is that right? Yeah, we launched the product in late summer, early fall of 2020 after COVID. So well, that's took- recent. I mean, we're like kind of in 2021. I don't know. Sam and I keep saying to each other, We'll be like, oh, it's another month. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like months are like months do. <laughs> I know. I feel like we just started 2022. But anyways, um, 2021 doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we all had our, our dramatic COVID story, right? So my co-founder and I, we were actually living in Europe when COVID hit. Wow. And I think a lot of people forget that it really was bad in Europe first. Well, Asia first and then Europe. And so, and also legislatively, we didn't know how the country and the administration was going to respond with lockdowns or travel bans. And so we literally had this dramatic, like we're the co-founders of a travel startup. We're in the middle of Portugal. Like, what is our plan? What are we going to do on top of grappling with, are we going to pivot? Are we going to stick to travel? All of our customers were like imploding. So it was in a way like a phoenix rising from the ashes because it all burned down. And then (laughs) we entered like a two to three month customer research period. And we were actually by the end of that three months, it took us about a month or two to build our MVP. And then it was launched and it took off from there. That's amazing. I feel like that perhaps what you just described, (laughs) the burning down (laughs) of it all, would really have shook a lot of people. But it sounds like you guys were able to kind of, you know, control, grasp and say, okay, we're going to, we are going to move to something else. We're going to make this work. But I'm sure for that sounds like tough. I'm sure there were some dark days. (laughs) But yeah, it was really. But at the same time, I do feel that we were in survival mode. Yeah. So fight or flight did kick in. And it was good that we were early enough in traction to be able to make such a cutthroat decision. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, I think everyone was looking for a survival narrative or some glimmer of hope. And so we did get positive feedback pretty immediately from users, from investors, um, that, that the, the (laughs) success arc was there. Right. Right. (laughs) So it was hard, but I think it was harder. It got harder after we had survived and we were like, okay, how are we going to thrive now and scale Mm -hmm. (laughs) when the COVID story, you can't stand on that for that long. Right. Exactly. Well, tell us exactly what does Office Otter do? And who you mentioned your demographic now. Who is your target demographic? Like who is using Office Otter? Mm-hmm. Yes. So Office Otter really began with executive assistants and office operations roles. Mm-hmm. I think that that was a really good demographic to start with because so much was changing for them as well at the beginning of the pandemic. And these are kind of your behind the scenes glue of the company roles. And so even though what their role looked like was changing, they were still eager to find a tool that was made for them. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, 
I like to describe them as hybrid reactive roles. So they're the people in the office that wear a ton of hats, yet because they're relational and internal facing, they're really serving the needs of what other people are asking them on a day-to-day basis. So every day kind of looks different than the other. So a really different workflow than what a salesperson's um, Mm-hmm. software demand would be or an engineer where they can't really predict what the next three months of projects will look like for them and spread them out really nice in Asana or Trello kind of thing right. like that type of tool and so that was and also they're like 90% women so I did want to I did really enjoy um, working with basically predominantly women during that customer research process, um, especially as you know, someone who works in tech, you don't get to be on a lot of calls with women. So it was, it was actually not a very lonely period for me at the beginning of the pandemic because I was doing hour-long interviews. Just yeah. no idea what we were gonna build, no idea what the company name would be. Just wanted to hear how they were handling all this change, what their role is, what their job responsibilities are, and why other tools haven't worked for them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, the big theme was communication integration. So we have more tools than ever to communicate with each other, especially professionally. And instead of it refining how we communicate, it's now just a larger volume of messages and requests, and they're scattered throughout more tools than ever. Yes. So, but and I know, like, you could probably relate to that because you wear a lot of hats. I really resonated with that because mm-hmm. I am the EA ops, everything else right. of my team. Um, and so, even though we did not explicitly set out to build this for, um business owners or founders or ops, even like wider range of ops roles. I really enjoyed starting with that focus. And I think it was key to just clarity in product development. So yeah, basically, the main pillars of our product are inbox integrations. So we are one of the most accessible kind of task management, project management tools. You can basically create a task from any modern communication tool. We even have like a Chrome plugin, Siri integration. Wow. Um, And we, so yeah, first, that was the first pillar was just how can we meet them where tasks are coming up without requiring them to leave their inbox, which is a super disruptive workflow. Um, And then on top of that, we help them, we help our users prioritize their workload. So since it is such a, high volume of of tasks and the width and breadth of what they do is so varied they do struggle with um prioritizing or setting urgencies as they're sending in tasks and so we have mechanisms for them to set like categories or due dates or even just an urgency bucket um so that's kind of the third pillar and then the last pillar was I, this kind of became a personal vendetta for me. I would listen to all that they do in their roles just to find out that they still get questioned, you know, what did you do this week? Or what are your KPIs? Or how are you affecting the bottom line? And it was so clear that these are the roles that truly hold the company together and serve everyone, Mm -hmm. yet they still don't have standardized metrics of success. 
And I also think that that's contributing to the glass ceiling for these roles. Sure, there there are also, I think, cultural um, factors and kind of macro how we view them or company culture, like some things I can't help fix quite yet. I'm trying on the macro side, but at the same time, a single EA herself doesn't have access to a tool that's actually tracking her success metrics in a tool that already is helping her like centralize and organize her workflow. And so what I ended up realizing was the big picture opportunity was not only creating the success metrics with them in partnership with them, but truly trying to unlock upward mobility for these kind of mid to entry level ops roles that you predominantly see women in administrative roles where I truly believe like they have COO potential. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the right tools to display that with confidence. Like here is my worth. And so we have over 20 analytics and insights that are both quantitative and qualitative into the work that they do. They don't have to do anything to opt into them and they're downloadable with like monthly, quarterly timeframes to bring with them to performance reviews or asking for a raise. Um, and over 300 of our users have successfully gotten raises or promotions because wow, of Wow, just by presenting that. Yes, you would be yeah. surprised how many managers don't even have that transparency into yeah. all that their ops team members do. Yeah. Um, so I, I obviously want to develop that even further, you know, like even offering suggestions of potential roles they can move up upward into. Um, but yeah, my, my one liner is like, I want you to be able to go from EA to COO and everything in between, like all through our platform um, and That's to see so what those milestones are. Yeah. So I'm, I get really stoked on it. Um we're really hands-on with our users. They're, this is like the most eager user demographic I've ever met. Like wow. they want to be a part of the solution and they're so yeah. smart. Yeah. So, and they're willing to talk to you, right? So as a co-founder, that's best case scenario. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Inspiring me to get more organized. Just as you were talking, I was like, wow, I really need to clean out my inbox. And get yeah. Going. So, get prioritized. No, I've got to. That is so Yeah, neat. I'm sure your role is very, like, you wear a lot of hats as well. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, well, that's so neat. Well, I'm curious two things, I guess. But, you know, you mentioned the demographic of the EAs being 90% female. You're obviously a female founder. So, number one, your experience as a female founder thus far. And number two, your experience fundraising, whether it be for mm-hmm. left or office otter as well. Yeah, yeah. So the joke is I'm really good at fundraising, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think I would like it. <laughs> um <laughs> but okay, yeah. So today I've raised about three million dollars. And just for context too, you know, when I started my first company, I had not invited my co-founder to join me yet. So I was I was the checklist of everything VCs are taught not to invest in. I was <laughs> A female founder. I had dropped out of college. I was not technical at the time. I eventually learned how to build our MVP. And I was a solo founder. Okay. And also at the time I was in LA, I wasn't in the Bay. Um, and it, it has gotten easier with over time. And I also think a strong narrative is what really helped 
with raising for office otter. Um, I'm glad you asked about what it's like to be a female founder, because I think it's kind of two sides to one coin in a way. Um, and I was just talking to one of my friends about this. Some days I really identify with my, you know, female identity as a female founder. I really resonate with a lot of the hardships. I have experienced a lot of your typical negative connotations, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's really been a unique advantage, especially when it means like investing in an underestimated part of the workforce that is actually 26 million people in the workforce and they just haven't gotten any attention from male Mm co-founders and engineers, right? Um, And so yes, sometimes I really do resonate with the plight of being a female founder. Yet other days I almost am frustrated at how much we we like divert energy between male and female co-founders and I just want to be viewed as a co-founder. Mm-hmm. So I understand the struggle of like we live in a world that does gender everything and we do live in a world where we experience different things because of our gender identity and I resonate with that but sometimes I wish that just wasn't the case so that Mm -hmm. I could just be treated like a co-founder right blank co-founder yeah but it's hard to it's hard to what's the word I'm looking for it's hard to truly like feel that every day when you are getting discredited or you are met with condescension or Mm -hmm. just straight up sexism right um and I I did feel that more in the beginning when I was when I was just gaining trust and I had a lot of other additional variables working against me whereas now and and they actually do say having a male co-founder changes a lot so Yeah, I was going to actually ask you about your co-founder. Yeah. Um, So tell me how important that co-founder relationship is just for you and then, you know, ultimately for the success of a company because some Mm -hmm. people get really lucky and some people, you know, cycle through a few. (laughs) Yeah, um, my I would definitely identify with the lucky side. Mm -hmm. Even the way we met was so serendipitous, you know, through we pitched against each other in a pitch competition and then kind of said to each other, hey, I think you had the best pitch other than myself. (laughs) And then we became friends. Um, Yeah, his name is Jordan. um, And we have now built two companies together. And I do resonate with the idea that you shouldn't be so worried about competitors getting in the way of your company because the number one reason startups fail is co-founder relationships. Mm -hmm. So if you treat it that seriously and invest into it, it does really pay off. Um, I also really resonated with the idea that you should pick your co-founder based off of like values rather than skill set. Because him and I both in the last three years have grown so much in our skill set. But if we didn't have the same shared values that we had on day one, I wouldn't have counted on those changing, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like, yeah. if you're an asshole, you're just going to be an asshole, you know. But if you, if you, for me specifically, like, 
if you could get better at product management and design, then you have three years to get better at that. And as long as you have that willingness to learn um, and grow. So I'm super, super thankful for my co-founder and the state of our relationship professionally. Um, Here's a hot take. Okay. A question. So since we're a female and a male co-founder, we have been asked if we're dating in investment calls and I can't decide if that's sexist or not. By the way, we are not dating. <laughs> and I've almost wanted to like put a Twitter poll out there because I can't decide if it's a if it's a, you know, ethical dilemma or not to get at because it bothers me. Well, it's kind it- of a weird I guess it's just weird in the sense of like does it matter to mm. you, sir, on the phone, you know? Does it, is that important to what well, we're talking about? I think for some people it's a deal breaker for investment. Yeah. Which one could wonder, does it increase your likelihood of professionally ending your relationship? If you are uh, personally involved, mm-hmm. I don't know the data on that, but I would argue like, why are two brothers attractive investments for co-founder, right? We look yeah. at the Stripe yeah. guys. Right. Um, like they were the ideal co-founder set. Um, but yeah, that, that that's just a tangent that I've been, that's been hanging over my head because it did, <laughs> my knee jerk reaction is that it did bother me when we would like, ask that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if that's a personal preference or if it is like a industry wide thing we should take down. Yeah. I feel like you should do the Twitter poll. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. to my 100 followers. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. Some people, I love a poll, honestly. I love a poll. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe people can give feedback after listening to this. (laughs) Yeah, they should. They should. Well, how would you say your view of really what it means to be an entrepreneur has changed from when you first got started, let's say, college dropout, to where you are now, two successful companies under your belt, what was a major learning for you? And then what would you tell other people? Oh, that's a good question. Well, the first time around, I was just learning everything for the first time. And so there were a lot of almost, um, I think a mistake I made was hesitancy and moving too slow. So you get, you do get told logically, you know, MVP, be lean, deploy as fast as you can, like try and have fast feedback loops, but you don't truly know what that feels like until you actually face the fear and just go for it. And we did that really well with our second company. Um, I also think I just, in general, I got better at negotiating and picking up on red flags. And so, um, and growing thicker skin. I mean, Mm -hmm. and I was young, right? So I don't, I don't blame myself or have regrets about Mm -hmm. maybe my naivete in (laughs) regards to taking someone at face value without signing, signing a safe first. Um, But yeah, I would say the biggest thing I've learned and what is a, a driving thesis I have for product development is incorporating users in your development process as much as you can. Mm-hmm. So that I think is my greatest skill set is like large scale research 
um, with a large group of people and turning their human experiences over like a one hour long interview into a product Mm -hmm. and then continually involving them in that design or development process. Like we allow our users to vote on features. We show them designs and mock-ups before we've built out the feature and just going into it truly open-minded to what they may like really learning how to be a good listener and ask open-ended questions, almost like a therapist Mm -hmm. because the user, especially if you have a focused user demographic, I'm sure it's more difficult if you're building a consumer facing product that's horizontal. Um, So I'm definitely like a a vertical SaaS gal. Um, But just listening to the users, learning how to conduct thorough fair and objective customer research and, um, you know, converting that those large scale data points and, you know, kind of qualitative experiences into product features. Mm -hmm. That's what really gets me going. And my favorite, uh, skill set that I've learned over the years, um, so yeah, I guess those are some tips slash. I think those are great tips. Thanks. (laughs) Um, what aspirations do you have for yourself outside of this business and all business? Yeah, um, I'm very optimistic about the future of tech. However, I don't know if I'll stay in it forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I am currently involved in my local school district in Newport Beach, and I am going to be running for school board, actually, in oh my November. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is actually That's great because so I'm cool. I'm publicly announcing in like two weeks. So Oh wow. So we, we got the scoop is what you're saying. We really got the scoop. Yeah. <laughs> My website is up. Um and I've begun, you know, kind of local public service stuff. But wow. yeah, I, I've been working with like a local STEM pro elementary STEM program and um our school district here is actually a great school district. We just have no young people or people with tech experience involved in leadership. And I believe that's one of the most pressing issues today is like the intersection of our kids and technology. Mm -hmm. So I've been working on them or working with them to kind of figure out what does it mean to equip parents and teachers and students with the right tools when students know more about technology than, than anyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True. So That's how can we address? Neat. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm definitely like a fix, fix the system from the inside type of person. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a, it's a part-time, nonpartisan job, which I'm really excited about. And like, isn't there any? Is there anything more noble than putting our partisan issues aside for the sake of the kids no there isn't anything more noble (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think it's I mean honestly we should do that more with more with local government but um yeah I think the one thing sort of missing from my full-time job is giving back to my local community especially in this whole remote world and working Mm -hmm. with kids I love kids but I don't have any so Mm -hmm. I'm given back to the future generation. That is so cool. Wow. So inspirational. And so I have to clean out my inbox. <laughs> clean out your inbox. Back immediately. Yeah. Donate to a local candidate. Screw the federal election. Just 
vote in the upcoming primary in june um and the midterms in november everyone (laughs) that is so neat what you're doing so what would you say motivates you every day Ooh, that's a great question. And I just asked that in an interview, actually, to candidates. <laughs> okay, what motivates me every day? Um, well, I'm an Enneagram 3. So super typical CEO, right? I'm, I'm driven by ambition. I'm goal-oriented. I'm driven by efficiency. Like it's quite ironic that I started this company, honestly, because my co-founder and I were both Enneagram threes. Um, so yeah, I'm driven by like optimizing. Um, like inefficiency is what drives me is drives me nuts. I'm also driven by. Um, I really try to push myself to be like integrous to the things that I say. I I would say that's also my biggest pet peeve is like when people, people's actions don't align with their words. I'm not perfect at that, but it really is something I'm, I'm trying to become like a more values oriented person rather than uh, here's my surface level actions or here's like whatever, fill in the blank that we use to measure if someone's a good person or not. Um, and also I, I would say work-life balance is really important to me. So something I'm grateful for in this second company was I think my first company was a little, I held it a little closer to the chest. It it felt more a part of my identity when it was, when I would get a rejection, it felt more personal and a healthy, healthier balance I found with office daughter is, um, I mean, we were talking about it before is like, it's okay to end at 6 PM. If yeah. I like being task, task completion oriented rather than time spent oriented right. has been really important to me recently. Um, so yeah, work-life balance. So, so millennial of me, but no, it is it's important. so important. I think it's only millennial because I feel like we're kind of the first people to, put emphasis on that and all mm-hmm. of us are like whoa 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 <laughs> we we've got to switch this up for sure so you know i i'm a big proponent for that as well before i let you go how would you describe your entrepreneurial journey up to this point using just one word ooh Okay, I don't know if I have one word, but I do have like a one-liner that I do tell people or or other friends. One-liner is acceptable. We'll allow it. I I think the key to being an entrepreneur is truly just taking it one day at a time. Because if you rise to the occasion of just what this day requires of you, like no one becomes a CEO overnight, especially like the night you decide you're going to start a business. Right. And it can become really overwhelming. Even I get overwhelmed at like what being a CEO will require of me in two years versus today. And so I've always um, shared or tried to reflect on this myself, like one day at a time, pushing yourself to rise to the occasion of what that day requires of you. And then you'll look back and that's compounding effect, you know? Yeah. So yeah, maybe compounding effect would be That is so smart. That is a great, a great (laughs) one-liner. Well, is there anything else you would like to add 
about yourself, about your journey, about Office Otter, anything at all? Um, I guess some lovely call to actions would be my company website is officeotter.com and my campaign website is cheyennewright.com. Wow, that's so great. Well, good luck with everything. It was so yeah, great. Yeah, thank you. You too. Thank you for having me. Oh, You're a great host. Oh, thank you. Make sure we keep that in. We won't cut that out. Yeah, we'll put that at the beginning. <laughs> thank you for listening to today's episode of The Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.